Our great God, we come before you again in prayer, humbly asking for your help that we might understand your word and that we might make application of it. In Christ's name, amen. Hear now the word of God, Matthew 6, verses 5 through 18. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Thus far, the reading of God's holy word, and may God add His blessing to the reading of His word. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Nothing is more characteristic of the child of God than that he prays to God. That is how Joel Beakey begins his chapter on prayer in his and Paul Smalley's Reform Systematic Theology, Volume 3. An excellent chapter on prayer, but one wonders, is that what you think? Would you say with Beaky that prayer is as natural to the regenerate soul as breathing is to a living body? Would you say that prayer characterizes your life? And perhaps you would. Perhaps you would say, of course. I couldn't even imagine a day without praying. I depend upon those prayers. But I suspect that many would not say that Prayer characterizes their lives. And not because they do not love God. It's because prayer is hard. If nothing is more characteristic than prayer for the Christian, perhaps nothing is more challenging than prayer for the Christian. Carving out the time to pray seems like an impossibility in this dog-eat-dog, go-go-go world. And when you do find the time, what should you pray? Should you say just whatever comes to your mind? And there's also the matter of them. What about them? You know, all those people in whose presence you pray. Who's going to pray for the meal? Who's going to pray before the start of of covenant group? And if you're called upon to pray, or if you so boldly volunteer to pray, What will they think? These are all questions that perhaps plague the mind. It's all a bit frightening at times, and for for many, always, because we don't know what to pray, or we don't know how to pray, or especially because we, we fail to take note of the one to whom we pray. And our Lord Jesus knows this, and that's why he teaches us here how to pray. In fact, the disciples knew this, and in Luke's rendition, in his gospel of the Lord's Prayer, what led to this Lord's Prayer was a request from the disciples that they might be taught by their teacher how to pray. They knew that prayer was essential to the life of a disciple, but they also knew that they needed instruction. They needed to be taught. 
And in the evening services, we've already seen five prayers, Psalms 1 through 5. And now we come to the Lord's instruction on how to pray. And we are thankful to Christ for His teaching. He has not left us without sound instruction because we need it desperately. We see from these verses that we pray according to Christ's teaching and with confidence in Christ's Father. And before we hear our Lord's instruction on what is to be our model of prayer, we see Jesus' assumption that we will pray. It is not a matter of whether we will pray, but when we'll pray. Well, he says in these words, when you pray, so let's ask, well, who? The who, the what, the when? Well, who? In a word, you. I'm talking to you. That's who should be praying. When Jesus says, you, when you pray, he's talking to his disciples. The unrighteous will certainly pray. And at times, their trials reveal what God has implanted in their hearts. In an unguarded moment, for instance, they, they see a, a car about to crash them, and they might cry out, Jesus, help! Stranger things have been known to happen. And if such pleas were the stuff of faith, the Lord will hear them. And there's no doubt about that. But those who pray to false gods, or those who pray to the one true God falsely, have no confidence that their prayers will be heard. Psalm 109, 7 says, Let the prayer of the wicked be counted as sin. What a bold prayer the psalmist prays. As he's shooting his prayers heavenward, and he says, As the wicked are praying as well, don't you answer those prayers, O Lord. Count those as sin. Add those up to his storehouse of wickedness that you will then judge him for. Such a bold prayer. But that boldness comes with the knowledge that the Lord hears the prayers of the righteous and does not hear the prayers of the wicked. It is the righteous who pray. It is those who trust in the Lord Jesus Christ who will go to him in prayer. Kevin DeYoung in his excellent short book on the Lord's Prayer says, There is no such thing as a non-praying Christian. If you're a Christian, you pray. If you're not praying question is, are you a Christian? Children, if you have a brother or a sister, will you never speak to them? You might want to never speak to them. Perhaps they've annoyed you. Perhaps you try to avoid their presence. But can you imagine living in a household of you know, two, three, four, five, six, etc., and you just never say a word to your brother or sister at all? Certainly, you would talk with them a little bit here and there, wouldn't you? Well, what about if your dad or your mom were in the home? Would you pretend that they're not? No, it's laughable, as you've demonstrated. Yes. You don't say, well, I'm just going to do my own laundry and I'm going to cook my own meals, though parents might say, well, that's great, being responsible. And as you walk by your mom or dad, you don't say a word to them at all, ever. It's crazy. Certainly you would speak with them. Surely you would not always ignore them, though at times you might because you're frustrated with what discipline they gave you, but you wouldn't altogether say, no, I'm no longer going to talk to you ever again. Why? Because you're family. 
because you live in the same house, because you love each other. In the same way, we all, we all pray to God. We are in the family of God. He is our Father. We are the house of God, and we love God. And so we do not ignore God. We do not pretend that He is dead. We don't pretend like He is the, the false gods of, uh, uh, that He's Baal, that He's just you know, out on a journey, and He's nowhere to be found. It's not that kind of God. He's the ever-present God. Let the fool say that there is no God, and let the fool so never pray to him, but the righteous, we will pray. We must pray. Our own lives depend upon it. And so if I'm speaking to you right now, I'm telling you that Christ expects you to pray. Yes, you, all of you, even those who are listening in the live streaming. Yes, you. He expects you to do what? Well, I've already, the cat's already out of the bag, to pray. And this is very fundamental. I, I know this. But Jesus calls us to pray. Our Lord does not want us merely to study prayer, though we would do well to study prayer. He doesn't want us merely to talk about prayer, though we should often talk about prayer. He doesn't want us merely to think about prayer. Oh, I should pray. Though he does want us to think about prayer. He doesn't want us simply to tell other people that we will pray. Though we should tell other people that we will pray and then pray for them. He wants us, quite literally, to pray. Prayer, simply put, is is offering our desires to our Father who is in heaven in the name of Christ through the help of the Holy Spirit. We really don't need to complicate matter here. It's simple. Prayer is pouring out our soul's concerns to our God who listens to us, who cares for us. Who, as we see in the end of the text, knows what we need before we ask Him. Yes, words tend to be used but they need not be uttered always. John Bunyan says, When thou prayest, rather let thy heart be without words than thy words without a heart. Sometimes you can pray without words, but with all heart. But don't you ever pray a single prayer with words or not without the heart being in it? Because it is from the issues of the heart that the mouth speaks in prayer. Who's praying? You. What are you doing? You're praying. When are you praying? All the time. Jesus does not give us the exact hours. He doesn't tell us, you must pray at 6 in the morning, at 1 p.m., and at 6 p.m. He doesn't give us exact hours, though in his context, yes, there were set prayers. And there's nothing wrong, per se, with set prayers. But Jesus does expect us, when he says, when you pray, to be praying for this to be a daily offering. After all, how can you pray, give us our daily bread? Not every day. This is a daily prayer. And we know from other passages of Scripture that, for instance, Paul tells us to be in prayer without ceasing. Our hearts must see their forever dependence on Christ. So pray when you're full of joy. 
Knowing the steadfast love of the Lord moves you to prayer. You can pray Psalm 107.1. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. Pray when, you, when your soul is, is brimming with joy. is overflowing because you have a keen sense of the steadfast love of the Lord that endures forever. Have shouts of praise, shouts of joy. But pray also when you're full of sorrow. Knowing suffering in this world moves us to cry out. You can pray with the psalmist in Psalm 88. Let my prayer come before you. My soul is full of troubles. The Lord wants to hear your your shouts of, of joy, but he also wants to hear your cries of sorrow when your heart is full of trouble, when your friends have abandoned you. He wants you to come to him in prayer when you're full of sorrow, when you're full of joy. He wants you to come to him in prayer when you see your sin, when you see the effects of your sin. He wants you to go to him in prayer and to confess it. Oh, often is the temptation of the heart that when we sin, we, we avoid the presence of God. We say, I, I've sinned, so I, I can't come to him in prayer. And that's just the enemy speaking. You can pray with Psalm 32. My bones wasted away when I kept silent. But I said, I will confess my sin. I will. And I acknowledge my sin to you, and you heard me, and I was healed. Blessed is the one who can soon the Lord counts no iniquity. You can pray when you see your sin. You can pray when you think God is silent, when you do not experience his presence because either of, of sin or, or suffering. You can pray Psalm 109, verses 1 and 4. Be not silent, O God, of my praise. I give myself to prayer. That perhaps is the most difficult occasion where we are tempted to avoid prayer. I just I don't feel it. The affections aren't there. It's just cold. I don't feel God around me. I don't sense His love. I sense His silence. And we have that model. Oh, be not silent, O oh God. Hear my prayer. You can pray when you think God is silent. You can pray when you have needs, both physical and spiritual. You can pray Psalm 63. God, earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. Do you not sense your own neediness every day? Do you not see it? Your own physical neediness, your own spiritual neediness, your own vulnerability to the attacks of the devil. And how even a, a mysterious providence can send us doubting. We have many needs. And the Lord is telling us to earnestly seek him. Perhaps if we could even say Psalm 63.1 is, is the psalm version of, of Jesus' words in Matthew 7.7. 7. You ask and, and seek and knock fervently and persistently pray to the Lord. You can pray when you sense keenly the attacks of Satan. We have that great model of prayer, uh, that great prayer in Ephesians 6. Pray always in the Spirit. To extinguish the flaming darts of the evil one. You know that he is out to get you. You know that he doesn't sleep. He doesn't slumber in his attacks. But we're thankful that neither does our Lord slumber. 
neither does he give way to sleep. He doesn't need it. And so he, and he being the all-powerful God, can attack Satan, can crush Satan. And so we have that means of prayer to God. O oh Lord, deliver us from the evil one. O oh Lord, deliver us from evil wherever it is found. We pray always in the Spirit. We can pray when you carry the burdens of another. James 5, 16 says, pray for one another that you may be healed. Or those burdens that you carry for your brother, as we see in Galatians 6, 1, you can bring those to God in prayer. You can help your brother, your sister, who is in great pain, who is even perhaps in great sin. You can help him as you bring his burdens to Christ. Pray when you are alive on earth. As long as your heart beats, your heart breathes prayers. You can pray Psalm 116, 1, Because he inclined his ear to me, I will call on him as long as I live. And you will always live. Because you have been given the gift of immortality by the Spirit. You can always Pray to the Lord. You are never too old to pray. You are never too old to improve in your prayers. And of course, if you're never too old, then never too young to pray. Never too young to learn. So children, learn to pray. Learn to pray from your parents. Learn to pray from your Sunday school teachers. Learn to pray from your elders. Learn to pray. And all of us should examine whether and when we pray. Not every meal is a Thanksgiving meal. Not every scripture reading is reading a whole book of the Bible in one sitting. Not every conversation with your parents is a 60-minute sit-down. Perhaps we're thankful for that. That would be quite laborious, quite burdensome. Not every prayer is an hour-long plea. Long prayers and short prayers and, and medium prayers, they all count. They're all good. If they are prayed with faith in Christ for the glory of Christ, you need not be ashamed. Don't be ashamed that you didn't pray for an hour. That perhaps you only had opportunity to pray for a few minutes in the beginning of the day. If you're praying with faith, those prayers are heard. The Lord loves those, those prayers, whatever the length they are. Oh, but do not be satisfied with only short prayers all the time. Yes, those are good, but they are not to be the, the, the plate of communion, the, the meal that we have with our Lord. We must pour out our soul before God. This, uh, this summer I was, uh, took a class on revitalization in church ministry, and one of the assignments that I had to do was do a, a three-day or three-days uh, prayer journal. I had to take at least eight hours in a day, and ideally it was three consecutive days, but my schedule did not allow that, to follow some, some guidelines and 
some passages of Scripture and just to be in prayer. And I did that out there. I did that in the office. did that different places. And it's a challenge. It's a challenge to, to pray throughout an eight-hour day. But it was refreshing to my soul. It revitalized my heart and fueled me for continued ministry. And it is something that we all should, should be engaged in occasionally. We should look for opportunities where we can set blocks of time, significant blocks of time, to pray. And that might mean the middle of the night, especially for, for young mothers who don't have a free minute. It might mean giving up sleep. You've heard of, of my mom. Uh, I've spoken of, of her devotion to the Lord, and regularly she will tell me, she knows I'm struggling with something. She'll tell me, I got up at two in the morning and prayed for you for the next two hours. <laughs> like, Mom, I couldn't, I couldn't return that service to you. <laughs> I, I would get too tired, especially at two in the morning. <laughs> Take out blocks of time. Devote them to the Lord. Pray for yourself. Pray for your brothers and sisters. Prioritize prayer. Re- reintegrate it into your daily life. Follow your Savior who modeled prayer in all circumstances. And lean upon the same Spirit that led Him in prayer. You have that same Spirit. Take advantage of the opportunities that are given to you in the church for gathering to pray. Corporate worship, adult Bible fellowship, or a men's Bible study, a women's Bible study, a hymn sing that has songs and and, and prayer intermixed. Take opportunities. Take advantage of them. Use the Psalms. Oh, I think they are the finest section of Scripture to fuel, to motivate uh, to even give good content to our prayers. Often I'll, I'll have struggling counselees, saints, just go through some prayers and pray them. Use them as a catalyst. Other prayers in the Bible. Other resources we have at the table in the library. The, there's so many resources to help us to pray. But remember this piece of wisdom here. You can do no more than pray after you have prayed, but you cannot do more than pray until you have prayed. Let me say that one more time. You can do more than pray after you have prayed, but you cannot do more than pray until you have prayed. Make prayer a priority because it shows your daily dependence on the Lord and shows your your love and your neediness to God. Before Jesus explains how to pray, he tells his disciples how not to pray. Look at verse 5 with me. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. Do not pray like play actors. Jesus uses the word hypocrites here, which just means play actors. Now, we're familiar with this word, hypocrites. We feel comfortable using it of others often. 
but not of ourselves. Hypocrisy hearkens to putting on a mask in a play and pretending to be something you are not. Hypocrites say they believe or do one thing, but in truth, or rather in lies, they believe or do another. Hypocrites say no one should drink alcohol, all the while drinking it secretly themselves. Hypocrites act like the heads of home in public, all the while their wives really run the show. Hypocrites speak against sexual morality from the pulpit, but they are, at the same time, glued to pornography. There are similarities between the way the righteous pray and the way the hypocrite prays. For one similarity is there are words. They pray words. And the form of the words might even be the same. A hypocrite might even pray this Lord's Prayer. And these words might be directed even to God the Father. They might even be prayed for our fellow man, at least on the surface. And sometimes the righteous and the hypocrite alike will pray in the streets. They will pray in services. But play actors, or better yet, pray actors say and act like they believe in prayer, but when they are unmasked or when they are seen by God truly, they are shown to deny the power thereof or they are shown to deny the the one Father above. Hypocrites pray for the praise of man. Hypocrites pray for the sight of man. Hypocrites pray for those congregational amens. Nothing wrong with an amen in the service. Don't hear me say there is something wrong with that. But there's everything wrong praying and listening for that amen. Oh, I said something good. Are they going to amen that? That's a heart that's seeking the praise of man. Hypocrites pray before, before everyone for their reverential, humble posture to be seen or for their eloquent speech to be heard. May they hear those great words that I said, that vast vocabulary, that humble approach before the throne of God. Let them see that and then say afterwards, oh, what a great prayer. Hypocrites pray for that kind of applause. And Jesus says, do not pray like them. They have their reward. Their reward is the praise of man, and that reward will die with man not lasting. It doesn't endure forever. Pray instead with faith. Pray instead with fear in the Lord who is forever. Do not pray like play actors. Do not pray like pray actors. Do not pray like pagans. Verse 7. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. So here is another group of people that Jesus tells us to avoid as models For prayer, do not get sound instruction from them. It will not be sound. It will be deceptive. Don't use them as a model. Jesus has in mind those who do not truly trust in Christ for salvation. Those who truly do not trust in the Father who sees in secret, who rewards in secret. Don't pray like an atheist. Don't pray like a Buddhist or a Muslim, a Jehovah's Witness, a Mormon, on and on. Don't pray like any of them. I remember when I was a kid, living in an apartment complex one afternoon, running over to my Muslim friend's place to see if he could play. 
And his parents let me in the apartment and told me to wait because their son was praying. So I waited patiently, and, and I got to see just his door was open, and I, I saw him as his prayer rug was, was out. He was kneeling on it. He was very sincerely praying to Allah. His sincerity was commendable. If we were giving him a grade, it was a 10 out of 10 on sincerity, at least on the surface. It looked, it looked like he was very sincere. But his prayers were condemnable. It was a 0 out of 10 on effectiveness. Why? Because he was not praying to the only God that is. His faith was not in Christ. He was not relying upon the Holy Spirit to bring his prayers as sweet incense to the Father. In Jesus' day, as in ours, some people pray many words, but all of these words are empty. It's vanity. Their vanity doesn't lie in a number of words. God doesn't cut you off at a certain point. He doesn't say, here's the quote, you've got to meet this, and if you go beyond this, no more. It's not like a, a publishing company that says, you've got to cut it, bring it down. Fewer words, fewer words. Cut away, cut away. No, he, 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 he always hears, and he hears all the words that you in true faith will utter. God doesn't cut you off. But the vanity lies in the empty heart, the heart that does not have the Holy Spirit indwelling it, the one that thinks that it will be heard because it is going through all the motions of prayer. The pagan way of praying has certainly pitched its tent in the house of God. And prayer is not a formula per se, though there are formulas of prayer, and we don't, we don't reject them. Sometimes we think if we just say the right things, our prayer will work. If we, if we just start off with, dear Jesus, then ask for some stuff and end with, amen, there's a prayer, and the Lord loves it. Of course, we need to teach our children to pray, and we teach them with formulas. Say, yes, dear, dear Jesus, thank you for this food. Strengthen it and, and strengthen our bodies through it, and amen. Okay, that's good. And we are hoping that our children are praying with faith as well. Prayer, likewise, is not one-upping your own prayers by adding all the titles of God at a single time or by adding the word Father every third or fourth word. He does have more titles than Father. And it's good to reflect on those, to use those titles in our prayers. Prayer is sincere, it is heartfelt, God-focused conversation out of love for Him who is your Father. Examine then how you pray. You do not need to impress God with your prayers. He knows that you are not impressive. Pray. Pray as a child. He is your Father. Pray as one who belongs to the Father. Kevin Young says, Hypocrisy is not doing one thing, but feeling another. I mentioned this earlier. Some people think that they can't pray when they don't feel like it. But that's when you should pray the most. Lord, I don't feel like praying. I really need your spirit. I really need your help. 
and I don't like that I don't feel like praying. Oh, Lord, help me. It could be that simple. Lord, help. Father, you know my heart. You know how weak it is. You know how cold it is at times. I just don't feel like doing this. Help me. To do the right thing when you don't feel like it is Christian maturity. It is not hypocrisy. It is faith in practice. We don't have that approach in our marriages. Well, I don't feel like being married, so for the next four hours, I won't be married. We don't have that attitude. We ought not to anyways. We shouldn't have that attitude with our Father who is in heaven who loves us. And we've already seen Christ's assumption that we will pray, but finally now we look at how to do it. We see in verse 6, we are to pray secretly. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Now, if we are not careful, we will understand Jesus' words to go beyond their intent. When Jesus promotes secret, private prayer, he's not against all public prayer. If that were the case, then I ought to be condemned for having that pastoral prayer just, I don't know, 30 minutes ago. Or all the prayers we have in any given liturgy. Or praying at the start of men's Bible study. There are people there. Or women's Bible study, the, the, the end, when we have the request, the praises. When I go into the classrooms and I hear prayer requests from the, the teacher, should I shut them down and say, no, 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 there, there's more than one of you in here. There's, it's a public prayer. Shut it down. Certainly not. That's not what Jesus is getting at. In fact, he even says in Matthew 18, when we gather together, we can corporately ask for things in prayer, in his name. Moreover, in Acts 4, the early church was devoted to the prayers, we're told. That is to say, the corporate prayers. And we pray to an audience of one. And when we pray, we do so humbly. We do so simply. Again, we don't pray for the praise of man. We pray for the ears of our Father. We pray as if we were the only ones with the Lord, praying for His eyes alone, for His ears alone. Because prayer is conversation with our Father who is in heaven. We pray secretly. We pray seeking. And what do we seek? But the reward that we're promised. But what is this reward? Is it not God himself? That's what he says in scripture. Seek him. Seek his eyes. Seek his ears and you will receive him. He is the reward. Communion with your Father, that's the prize. That's the blessing. Our Father is pleased to give from His heavenly stores, and He does so lavishly. So when we pray, because of the overwhelming joy we know, we receive joy upon joy. When we pray because of our sorrow, we receive comfort and mercy from the God of all comfort and the Father of mercies. When we pray because of our sin, we receive perfect forgiveness in Christ. When we pray because of God's silence, we will receive in due time the blessing of his presence. When we pray because of our physical or spiritual needs, 
we will receive what we need when we need it. The Lord's timing is always on time. When we pray because of Satan's attacks, God covers us with his angelic protection. Thomas Brooks says, Ah, how often, Christians, hath God kissed you at the beginning of prayer and spoke peace to you in the midst of prayer and filled you with joy and assurance upon the close of prayer. Such reward in seeking his face. Have we known it? Do you know these divine kisses in prayer? Do you pray long enough to experience them? Can you say that there is a definite kiss from God at the beginning and there's a definite point in the middle where God blesses you again and at the close you really sense his presence, his blessing again throughout the prayer? Do you pray fervently to feel these divine kisses? Do you pray accurately to know these divine kisses? Pray. Pray seeking his reward, and you will have it. And pray certainly. You should pray with the knowledge that God knows. For your Father knows what you need before you ask him. When you cry out to the Lord, he knows your cries better than you do. He knows justice with perfect justice. He knows who your friends really are. He knows who your enemies really are. He knows you and your circumstances much better than you do. And he knows what you're going to ask. He knows your cause according to his counsel. Examine then why you pray. Do you pray with that kind of expectation that the Father already knows? what you will ask of him. That's not to discourage you from prayer. Sometimes a parent knows what his child will ask him. The child asks anyways, because he knows that if he asks, then then the parent might actually give it to him. You pray with faith because God knows you. You pray with faith because God loves you. You pray with faith because God cares for you. And you pray with faith because God works through you. Thomas Watson referring to that incident in Acts in which Peter was released from prison miraculously by the help of an angel. He says, the angel fetched Peter out of prison, but it was prayer that fetched the angel. Prayer works. Why pray if God knows everything? We're often asked. I would say, why pray if he doesn't? Why pray? Well, we pray because God knows. We pray because God has designed prayer as a real means of fellowship, as a real means of access to him and all of his divine blessings. Let's pray. Gracious God, Father in heaven, we thank you again for this word. We thank you for just the beginning of our Lord's instruction on prayer. Help us to be moved to pray in all seasons, all the time, crying out to you, knowing that you know what we will ask. In Jesus' name, amen.